0: It's, it's so good to have Pastor Dave back, amen? man. If you guys don't know Pastor Dave, like he shared a little bit earlier, he's been on this journey where, you know, it was discovered that he had cancer on his tongue. And just about two months ago, he went in for surgery and removed about half of it. And there's still a long process towards the healing. But man, it's so good to see him up here and back sharing with us the announcements and just to hear his voice again. is such a blessing. But if you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here at South Bay Community Church. My name is James. And being that I'm a youth pastor, I I like to play games. And so if you guys would entertain me for a moment. I love to play a game with you guys here this morning as we start our message. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to play a sound for you guys, and then I want you guys to just do your very best in trying to guess what that sound is coming from. For some of you guys, this may be really easy. For some of you guys, it might be a little bit hard, especially this first one, because I think the little older you are, the more recognizable the sound might be, all right? So take a listen and try to share your best guess. Sound number one. I see some of you guys are getting it. Some of the younger people are like, I have no idea what that is, and that's okay. This is a typewriter. It's a type- my, my, my wife last night, she was like, I thought that was a gunshot. I was like, what, what are you listening to? Um, all right, so that's the first one. Let's go for the second one. The second one might be a little bit harder for some of you guys, but take a listen. Some of you guys kind of got it. here. hear car. If you guys don't know, it is a sewing machine. Sewing machine. All right, for this next one, it might be easier to recognize if you're kind of closer to my age. I'm in my mid-30s, and so if you're like 10 years older, 10 years younger, this might sound a little bit more recognizable. And for the rest of you guys, try your best. Here we go. Wait. Oh, now I hear some of you guys trying to sound a little familiar. <laughs> if you guys don't know what those sounds are, this was the way that in my time we communicated with one another when the internet first became available. It was AOL Instant Messenger, all right? Well, I got a couple more. This next one, I think most of you guys have probably heard before, especially if you guys have a kid or maybe in your youth you remember maybe hearing this sound quite often. But take a listen and see if you guys might be able to guess this next one. oh there you go some of you guys got that right away it's like the beginning to all of the disney movies right all the disney movies that we so enjoy and watch well this final one this final one i know will be very difficult especially for those for those that were born after the year 2000 Uh, That's so scary for me to think about, right? I I don't know about you guys, but I just feel old saying that. I mean, how many of us in here were born after the year 2000? Oh, there's quite a few. Man, okay. Well, you guys probably won't get this. Maybe some of us a little bit older than that will. But take a listen and share your best guess. All right, if you guys don't know that sound, it's not a fax machine. It actually is AOL, American Online, because back in the day, believe this or not, young people, believe this or not, we used to have to connect to the internet through a phone line, through a phone line. And so there was this thing called dial-up connection. And here's the crazy thing about it. Nowadays, when we jump onto the internet, it's pretty much instantaneous, right? We just click on something on the Wi-Fi or whatever it might be, and we're on. But back in the day, we had to use our phone line to actually connect to the internet. And I, I looked this up. I wanted to remember how long it used to take to actually connect to the internet. And, and I found out that, that it would easily take nearly two and a half minutes for us to use the dial-up to actually connect to the internet. And our internet was so blazing fast back then, it took nearly 10 seconds for a screen to load. I mean, think about that, right? If you go to Google, like nowadays, it comes up within like half a second, like boom, it shows up. But back then, it would take 10 seconds. One, 1002 one. I'm not gonna count all the way up because I don't think we have the patience for that, but there has been a recent study that has been shown to say that when people go on the internet now and they'll go to like a webpage like YouTube and they'll search for a video, they'll find it, they'll click on it, they found out that if it takes longer than two seconds to buffer and load, people will just abandon it. It's like they went out of their way to search for it, look for it, find it, and because it took longer than two seconds to load, they'll just leave it. Man, what's happened to us? How have we become so impatient? I think part of it is because we live in a culture where convenience and speed is king. The honest truth is when we want something, we tend to want it now, right? And that's why we probably love things like Amazon Prime. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced Amazon Prime. It was a game changer for me. Why? Because they, they, they offer you delivery within two days or less, But the funny thing is, if they show up a day late, we get what? Upset. We get mad. We get angry. We're like, what took so long? Like that extra day was all of a sudden so much to wait for. And that's why we probably hate places like the DMV, right? Many of us who have ever been to the DMV know that it can be a mess, that they take a long time. It seems so inefficient. I know recently one of our staff members was at the DMV trying to handle a simple, simple thing, and it took them... Hours only to be told to come back the next day to finish their request. And it's so crazy because this tends to lead us to be people of impatience, right? And when we're impatient, we tend to feel all sorts of emotions, whether it be frustration or even crying or or impatience in the sense that we throw tantrums, we rush, we panic. And for a lot of us, we, we get angry, right? We have a little bit of this thing called rage. And we tend to see it a lot on the streets while people are driving when somebody may cut us off or take a little too long at a stoplight. We, we just burst with emotion, whether it be through the honking of a horn or through the yelling and screaming and sign language of people, whether it be even physical altercations. I recently read another research paper that showed that one of the leading causes of road rage is this idea of impatience. And I've seen impatience, even just as a person that works with junior hires and high schoolers. I mean, I don't know if you guys can believe that, but junior hires and high schoolers can be a little impatient. And I saw this because recently, as some of you guys might know, we have Wi-Fi here at our church. And when we first uh, offered it, it was something that you could connect to, and then from that point on, whenever you come back, you could just—it just connects automatically back to it. Well, we found out that we were running into some trouble because of that, things were slowing down. There was also some security risk involved with that. And so we entered another layer where people had to actually click on a box in order to make sure that they connect to the internet moving forward. And man, I, 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 I'm gonna tell you guys, our students, they were having a cow. They were like, how could you do this? This takes so long. Why didn't you just leave it the way that it used to be? Now I have to click on a box and now I can't connect to the internet right, right away. What is wrong with you? And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? We're, we're <laughs> to help you provide more secure internet for you and you're complaining because of an extra step that you need to take and here's the thing if if you guys haven't been with us for a little while we've been in this series called the god inside and we've been examining how the holy spirit resides in those that are believers of god and of jesus christ and we learned that the holy spirit empowers us the holy spirit counsels us the holy spirit also also provides us gifts to use to serve the church and the world and to make God known. But we've also been looking recently about the fruit of the Spirit, how the Holy Spirit inside of us produces a fruit out of us. And, And in this fruit, what it encompasses is things like love, joy, peace, and of course, patience. And here's the thing about patience, right? It's something that we seem to have less time than ever before. But it is definitely something that God wants to produce in us and out of us. And so what I want to do today is I want us to take us through the scriptures to see why we need patience. And so if you guys will, let's start off our time with a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we're thankful. We're thankful you give us this opportunity to be here and to learn. And God, as we learn together, we need you to really understand, comprehend, but more importantly produce this idea of patience in our life. God, I don't think there's anybody in here that doesn't believe that patience is a good virtue, but maybe it's not something that is so easily seen in our lives. And so God, would you help us? Would you help us to realize the importance of patience, but also God, to walk in cooperation with your work, to develop patience in us and out of us. So God, help us. I pray this prayer, very scared, very afraid, but, But knowing we need it, God, would you help make us patient today? We love you and thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, here's the thing about patience. Patience is required for patience to be developed. There's no fast track in producing it. It doesn't merely come from saying a quick prayer as though God would just quickly zap us with patience as soon as we ask for it, but rather it comes from a process from a process in which God will take his time. And with taking time, it will require waiting. And while we wait, that will require us to have patience and and so today what I want to do is I want to kind of unpack for you guys what the Bible has to say in regards to patience and so hopefully you guys grabbed a Baywatch as you made your way in it's our program for today and inside there's a notes uh, there's a sheet for notes in there and on there I, I put on these Greek words that were originally used when writing the Bible in this idea of what patience is usually associated with as we know it today we wanted to take a look at the original meanings of patience and the two words that came up the most, the two words that are most associated with this idea of patience was one, the first one, makrothumia. It's a Greek word that is a compound word made up of two single different words. It's macro, which means long, large, far, big, and then the next part was thumos, which was in regards to passion, regards to our temperament, emotion, regards to even being angry right and and so the way that we can kind of understand this is seeing it as long passion long tempered long to get angry it's the ability to wait sufficiently waiting enough time before really truly expressing anger it's not forever not angry but it is this long temperament and and it it avoids the premature use of force of retaliation of improper anger and then there's the second word. The second word that I want you guys to see is this word called hup, Hupo hupomone. hupomone. And hupo is also a compound word. And it comes from two words, one being hypo, the first part of it, is a preposition meaning under and moneo. It's a verb meaning to remain or abide. And so the idea is this, is to remain under or abide under difficult circumstances, especially when it doesn't seem like possible to escape or avoid. And so again, just to kind of break this down, the word makrothumia, it is translated in this idea of long-suffering, and it emphasizes the attitude or frame of mind that we have with people, especially, in regards to our interactions with others. And then hupomone, I'm saying I need patience for this, hupomone It emphasizes endurance, endurance in the midst of difficult circumstances, the idea of persistence. And and see, here's the reality of it, because if you are here today and you are a brother or a sister, if you are a mom or a dad, if you are a friend or have friends, if you are married, if you are a boss, if you are a worker, if you're breathing, if you're human, And the reality of it is this, we need, we need patience. Will you write that down as your first point today? We all need patience. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, we need patience. Turn to another neighbor and say, we need patience. Turn to them again and say, you need patience. Turn to someone else and say, you know what? I need patience. See, the reality of it is this. I believe God desired that we display an attitude of long suffering and long temperedness as well as staying under his plan and his purposes by enduring and persevering through certain events. And and it is so critical for us for a variety of reasons. But the first one is this, will you write this down? We need patience from God. We definitely need patience from God because the truth is every single one of us, because we're human, it means we're gonna mess up. It means we're gonna fail. It means that we are going to tick off people and God over and over again. Let me introduce you to somebody. This guy right here is high school James. Why are you guys laughing? That's so mean. Oh my gosh. But I'm just joking. But this guy, don't, don't let the looks fool you. He may seem calm and cool, but he was anything from it. He was a typical teenager in some regards. He had a temper like some Koreans might have. He would get angry and upset about anything and everything and fly off the handle at a moment's notice. And, and this could be seen as in just evidence of his room. If you went back to high school James' room, you would see a mess, of course, but you would also find something. If you were to look at one of the walls, you would see a nice plaque, a plaque that said, student of the year from his church. But if you remove that plaque, what you would find, you will find a big hole in the wall. Why? Because that hole had been made by high school James, who was angry, who was mad, who was quick-tempered, not long-tempered, who would be, when, when pushed beyond his patience, which wasn't very much, would go and punch the wall over and over and over again see i was anything but long-tempered then there's god see and if you think about god if anyone has the right to be angry it's him i mean think about when he created adam and eve the first two people he told them there's just one thing only one thing that i asked you guys not to do and what do they do that one thing and then, and then there's the Israelites, the people, his chosen people in which he saved and showed them miracles and was leading them to a promised land out of slavery. And what did they do on the journey? If you're a parent with kids, you probably know this, they complain, they whine, they continue to ask, when are we going to get there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They were very ungrateful. And then there was the spiritually blind Pharisees, religious leaders like me who are supposed to go and help other people discover and learn more about God and who he was and his just um, tremendous character. And yet they were some of those most prideful people making this idea of learning about God so difficult and going against God's character. And, And then there was the slow to believe disciples. Have you guys had those people in your life that were just, that you teach them something and they just don't get it, so they ask you again and you teach them again? and they don't get it, and they ask you again, and they don't get it, and it just happens over and over and over again. Well, that was the disciples. And then if we're honest with ourselves, there's us. I know for myself, I often have a hair-trigger temper, especially when I'm driving. But for some of us, we have a mean streak, a selfishness, a self-centeredness. We even are unfaithful to God. Pursuing other things, other people, as though they are more valuable and more important than the Lord. And then again, like we mentioned earlier, there's our failures. God has called us to do things, called us to obey, live out his commands, and we constantly, intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, fail. But what has kept God from just slamming heaven's door and saying, you know what, I've had enough of these people. They just don't get it. I show them, I teach them over and over again. That's it, it's over, I'm done. What keeps them from doing that? Makraththumia. That's what. God's slowness to get angry. See, and the beauty of this is that God desires us so much. He's willing to be patient with us. Especially for those that are not believers, for those that are far from God. If you've come in here today or if you're listening and you're somebody that has not chosen to believe in God, man, I want you to know that this God that we talk about, you might think of him as angry or mad, but he's far from that. He is one of long suffering, of long temperedness. He is not shutting the door on your life and to heaven's gates because he waits for you. Take a look at 2 Peter 3, verse 15. Says it like this, Peter says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the makrothumia of our Lord as salvation. His long suffering for what? He does it for salvation. In 2 Peter, or in the verses earlier in chapter 3, verse 9, he says it like this. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but what, that we should all reach repentance. See, God patiently, he patiently waits for those that don't believe in him. You might be sitting here as a believer and wondering, man, God, there's so much misery and hatred and hurt and anger and bitterness and all of this ugliness in the world. God, why don't you just end it now and just take us up to heaven and be so much better. You know why he doesn't do that? Because he's waiting. He's waiting for that heart to turn back to him. He's waiting for that, for that life, for that soul to be his. He's waiting to save the lost. And he's even waiting for us as believers to turn from our ways that sometimes lead us astray from him so that we could come back and receive his love and his grace. Here's the reality of God's patience. God patiently withheld his anger over our sin until the day his son hung on a cross. And then God punished Jesus in our place. But yet God still exercises perfect patience. He wants us to repent, not perish. So he bears with all of our faults and all of our sin, patiently, waiting, eagerly to forgive us. He treats us gently like the works in progress that we are with great long-suffering and endurance. While we may be enemies of, the God, enemies of Christ and of the cross as non-believers, what keeps God from destroying his enemies and taking them out? Macrathumia for the sake of salvation. And for us as believers, he waits for us sometimes when we turn away from him and we go and chase our own dreams and our own hopes. We go trying to do our own purposes and plans and neglect him. You know, maybe some of you guys in here today have kind of run away from God and maybe not intentionally, but slowly drifted away. Can I share with you guys a story of the patience of our God and how he waits for you, the long suffering he has for you? It comes from a story that Jesus shared called the parable of the prodigal son. And if you guys don't know it, let me share with you guys just quickly what it was all about. See, there was this son who went to his father and said, Dad, you know what? I want my inheritance and I want it now. I don't want to even wait till you die, right? I don't care if you're alive or dead. I just want what's mine. So can you give it to me now? I don't want to wait till you're gone. I want it now. Why? Because I want to spend it. I want to enjoy my life. I want that money. And the father says, okay, son, here take it and what does the son do with it he runs off and he gets himself involved in all sorts of things that bring disgrace to his family disgrace to his dad's name and beyond that he goes and he wastes every single dime that his father has given him of the inheritance that was shown to him and then he finds himself he finds himself feeding pigs with slop starving hungry because he has nothing left and as he's sitting there in this realization of Literally being in the slop of pigs, he realizes, you know what? You know, my dad, my dad's his workers, his slaves, man, they get treated better than this. You know what? I know I have no right to ever go back to my dad and ask for his forgiveness and to take me back as his son. I basically wished him dead by asking for my inheritance early. But you know what? But maybe, maybe because he's kind and he's, he's someone that is patient, maybe, maybe he'll take me back as a, a worker. And, and being a worker is far better than what I'm at now. And so he decides to make his journey back to his dad. And then we get a picture of what the dad's doing. What is he doing? He's waiting patiently for his son. And we're told that when he sees his son off in the distance, he runs. He runs to his son. And what does he run to his son for? Not to yell at him and scream at him and tell him, you are a horrible son, why are you bad? Get out of here. How, you know how bad you disgraced my name? How dare you show your face? No, he didn't do any of that. No, instead, he ran and embraced him. And he told the crowd that was watching, this is my son. He didn't give the crowd a chance to show him any kind of hate, any kind of disgrace. He made it known, this is my son. And I love him, he's mine, and he's back. And see, that's a story and a demonstration of the patience that our God has with us. That even if we've kind of chosen or even inadvertently kind of walked away from God, drifted away, we have a God that is slow to get angry, that is patiently waiting for us. And when we return, we can receive the kindness the goodness and the grace in which our Father wants to eagerly give to you and to me. Guys, we're human. We're bound to sin, bound to fail, we're bound to stray. And so that's why we need the patience of God. But also because we're human, we're bound to sin, we're gonna do something. We're gonna hurt each other in the process of living together. And this leads us to our second reason of why we need patience. Will you write this down? We need patience, we need patience for one another. We need patience for our family. We need patience for our significant others. We need patience for our boss, our coworkers, those that we serve in whatever industry it might be. We need need patience. Because here's the reality of it. Things are gonna get messy as we humans live together in relationship with one another. And, and because of that, Paul described how we are called to live with patience toward each other. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Here is Paul in prison as he writes this. And so he is someone that knows what it's like to be mistreated and to be in a difficult situation with others. And here's what he has to say. He says, I, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you. To walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian, being a believer, there's a way that you're called to live, a way that is honorable to that name, a way that is honorable and glorifying to your God. And that it is this in verse 2, he says this with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Macrothumia bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He's saying to us, guys, I need you guys to show each other love. I need you guys to show it through the demonstration of what, patience, of long-suffering, of long-tempered, to bear with one another. You know, I get a beautiful example of this as I work with my junior hires and high schoolers. And one of the best examples that I thought of recently was the picture of this friendship or this relationship here. This is one of our students and this is one of our advisors. And just to make it clear, because you might not know, the student is on your left in the glasses and the advisor is on your right. This is Andrew, our student, and this is Kyle, our advisor in our junior high ministry. Now, Andrew joined our ministry recently as a sixth grader this past last year and you know Andrew will be the first one to tell you that you know he didn't grow up with the easiest homes he has a lot of stuff happening which made his life very very difficult and because of that he carried a lot of baggage into evolution and on top of that Andrew will be the first one to tell you that his attention span isn't very good that he gets distracted very easily and because he gets distracted very easily he doesn't always listen he doesn't always pay attention can kind of be off in his own little world, which makes it hard sometimes when we're trying to move around or do different things. And while some may see Andrew and think, oh my gosh, he is a handful, Kyle, Kyle doesn't. Kyle displays macrathumia with Andrew over and over and over again. Because see, Andrew has developed this great love for Kyle. I think because of the patience Kyle has shown him. So much so that, man, he's always looking for Kyle. So we could be like in service and he could be sitting there listening to the message, supposed to be listening to his handsome, engaging youth pastor, but instead he'll be looking around and he'll look at an advisor, where's Kyle, right? And then, and then we could be doing worship and everybody's singing their songs, directing it to God, and he'll be doing that too, but every once in a while he'll look around and he'll be like, Where's Kyle? Right, and and then we could, at retreat, we recently had a retreat and we had uh, these tables that we sat around and we could be eating a meal and he'll be eating his meal and he'll stop and then he'll look around and he'll look over at me or in a leader and be like, where's Kyle? Right, we could go outside and onto a field and we're supposed to be playing a game and we're supposed to be paying attention to one another and then he'll stop and he'll look around and be like, where's Kyle? And, And then we'll go to the bathroom and he'll be in the bathroom and he could be in the stall and all of a sudden he hears somebody walking in and he'll say, Kyle? No, it's not Kyle. It's me, James. Oh, hi, Pastor James. Where's Kyle? Like, you know, easily somebody could respond and Kyle could say, I'm here, buddy. You don't need me to go to the bathroom with you. I'm here. You don't need to me to go and listen to the message. And he can react just angrily or upset or lose his temper and his patience with them, But he doesn't. He doesn't. He gladly walks alongside of him knowing Knowing Andrew needs a lot of love and grace and a lot of patience. Man, Kyle shows this idea of patience, of having long suffering and long temperedness, not just because of the situation, but he chooses to do so as well. You know, when we were planning our retreat cabins, you know, I'll be honest with you guys, you're gonna get a little inside peek to some of our youth ministry. Sometimes the leaders come up to me and they request certain kids, or sometimes they request certain kids not be in their cabin, cuz they have a hard time practicing patience with them. But here's the thing with Kyle. Kyle came up to me and he said, "Pastor James, hey, when you make the um, cabins, will you put Andrew in my cabin?" He said, I-, "I know that sometimes, you know, he can be difficult and sometimes he can get distracted and yeah, he asks for me a lot." And I know the uh, the idea of spending the next 48-72 hours with him can seem daunting but I love him and I want to be there for him see this is what patience helps us do it helps us to bear with one another in love not just put up with each other but love one another and rather than reacting with anger or hate or resentment or just out of duty we're prompted to move in love when we display this kind of patience this is the kind of patience that the world needs to see and experience in order to see Christ. See, as I kind of rewind for you guys again, back in the day when there was high school James, someone that would easily get angry and lose his temper and fly off the handle, the people that sought the most was my family. See, at church, I could play the game pretty well. So much so that I won student of the year like I shared with you before. But my mom and my dad, My brother, they would get a whole different James when I was home. And it was so bad because we would, especially me and my mom, we would get into arguments all the time. We would yell, we would scream, we would fight with one another. We would say things that probably should never be repeated. She would always be like, Why are you so angry? And I would yell back, I'm not angry, leave me alone. She's like, why can't you be more patient? I am patient, right? And we would just have this back and forth, back and forth. And and you know what, part of me was like, I don't care. You guys, you know what, whatever. You guys have to love me. You're my family, so no matter what, whatever. And and then then my mom really convicted me like our family can do sometimes and just say the thing that cuts you the deepest. She said, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. Oh, (coughs) student of the year, I am a Christian. What are you thinking? But she's all, you're supposed to reflect God you're telling me God is angry? You're telling me God is impatient? You're telling me God would yell at me like this and show me this disrespect? Oh, right? How painful was that? Because she was right. If God is supposed to be living in us and the fruit that he's supposed to be producing out of us is supposed to reflect him, then what a poor witness I was by displaying impatience over patience. See, here's the reality of it. Jesus even described this in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Guys, my poor witness, was, ha- was causing my family to stumble. They were questioning who God was because they couldn't understand. The guy that spent so much time at church on Saturdays and Sundays and appeared a certain way in front of everyone else there and would tell my mom, oh, what a good son you have, he's so nice, he's so respectful, oh, he's so patient, he's so good, oh, he loves Jesus. She's like, are you talking about the same kid at home? The kid's punching a wall, punching a wall over and over again. That's not the same guy. See, and back then I just tossed it up, well, that's my family, they don't understand me. Guys, our family, those around us, we're supposed to be witnesses to them. And if we're the only glimpse of God that some of them will ever see, do we really wanna show them a glimpse of God, or do we want them to think that God is impatient, that he's angry and he's mad? Here's the truth, in Hebrews 1 through two, the author puts it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our lives may be the only Bible, the only glimpse of God that people will ever get. And so that is why it's so necessary that out of us, we display the fruit of the Spirit, evidence of God, to show the world that God is patient. See, when you're tempted to lose patience with someone, consider this. Consider how patient God has been with you. Remember that. And as you remember that, reflect that. Reflect that to your son or your daughter. Reflect that to your coworker. Reflect that to your mom or your dad. Reflect that to those people that you've been trying so hard to get to come out to church. Reflect that the world even those that are driving on the street and don't know how to drive reflect that to them and I want to challenge you guys challenge you guys to shift your focus shift your focus to God and Christ to remember the patience that you have been given from the patient God that you and I have and we're definitely going to need patience with one another but we're also going to need patience for God. And this brings us to our last point here. Would you write this down? We need patience for God, for God's purposes and God's plans. We're going to need patience for God's purposes and his plans. See, I firmly believe this. If you're here today. You're watching this. You're listening to this. And you're breathing. Your heart is beating. You're alive. That means God is not done with you yet that God has a purpose and he has a plan for your life. And this is how grand and this is how big and this is how complicated it could be. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse nine. Paul put it this way, It says, but it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. God has a plan, God has a purpose. And yet here's the thing, sometimes our human hearts and our human minds and our human thoughts, we can't understand it. We can't always sense it. But here's the reality of it, patience is necessary. It's a necessary part, it's a necessary part of the process to receive some of God's promises. Because he may require us to wait. And if we're going to wait, we need to wait patiently. See, this was evidence to me through the journey of God's people, the Israelites. If you guys aren't familiar with it, there was a point in time when the Israelites were held captive and made slaves by Pharaoh in Egypt. And God said, you know what, I'm gonna get you out of there and I'm gonna send you to a promised land. promised land, right? And so he got them out of captivity and then they made their journey. Their journey from Egypt all the way to what we know now as Jerusalem. And I got, I, got, I got kind of curious, I was thinking, how long does that journey really take? Because what we know is it took them about 40 years. Well, uh, I Google searched it and I found this meme and this is what it came out with. On the right over there, you'll see Google Maps saying that it would take l- about six days and six hours to walk from Egypt to Jerusalem. Six days, six hours, and yet it took them 40 years. Moses had them wandering the desert for 40 years. Can you say worse navigator ever? Well, here's the thing. God had a purpose behind that process to get them to the promised land. If you guys would read along with me in Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 18, this is what he had to say. This is what it was said about this long journey for them. See, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not leave them by way of the land of the Philistines, the shorter route, right? He didn't do that. Although it was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. You guys see that? He knew that if he took the short way, they wouldn't be ready. They wouldn't be ready for all the adversaries and the difficulties and the enemies that they were gonna face. He knew that they would be tempted, tempted to run back toward captivity, tempted to run back towards those that enslaved them before. And aren't we the same sometimes? When we face difficulty and tough times, we're like, I wanna go back. I just wanna go back. I don't wanna deal with this anymore. Even though what we went to back before hurt us and wasn't good for us and wasn't healthy, idea of like comfort food we may be eating healthy at one point and we're like oh this is getting too hard I can't do it we go back to the food that maybe wasn't so good for that that's what he knew could happen to the people his people the Israelites and so what did he decide to do he said they won't be ready and so I'm going to take them the long way to prepare them you know there has been studies shown that those that maybe win the lottery that take it in the large 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 lump sum that 70% of those will Return back to their original financial status or even worse than when they won the lottery. Why is that? It's because a lot of them actually weren't prepared. They weren't prepared to take in their new income and handle it well and properly. And so in the same way, maybe God is saying, hey, I need you to go through a process in order for you to receive your promise. See, they had to wait on pillars of cloud and fire to lead them and it took them 40 years but it was what was necessary for them to actually be ready to receive God's promises. See, some of you may feel like you're waiting for God to answer your prayers or lead you to what he has promised or alluded you to and you're waiting for him to give you an answer or provide some insight. Here's something I wanna challenge you guys with. Just because you may not hear God doesn't mean God's not working. Just because God is quiet doesn't mean he's not doing something. I know this firsthand as someone that has planned a proposal. I I remember planning a proposal for my now wife and I remember in the midst of planning that proposal, I would go and I would talk to her family. I would set up arrangements for a uh, surprise party to share in the celebration together. I remember picking out the ring and doing all that stuff and all of that, my wife did not know about. And yet, during the course of our relationship together, especially toward the end, before the proposal was coming up, there would be questions and arguments about, when are you ever gonna propose? Or there would be comments of like, like you're ever gonna propose, right? And in my mind, I'm like, oh! If you only knew, if you only knew what was going on behind the scenes, and the same can be true for you and me, if you only knew. If you only knew what was going on behind the scenes of what God is planning and pre- preparing for you. But we don't. And so what do we need to do? We need to wait patiently. The ability to endure. To wait persistently. You know, as I thought of this idea of waiting on God, I, I found this little uh, cool little saying about this idea of what wait can look like. The W says, wait, watch, watch God. And look for the ways that he might move. Look for the ways that he might go about producing something. Watch for him. See, because oftentimes he will give us glimpses of his movement. And then if you're struggling, ask. Ask God. Ask God for insight. Ask God for patience. Hupomone. Ask him to help you endure, to trust in his timing. And then finally, it's an eye, it says invite. Invite God to work in your heart to make you more patient to calm you down. And, and then finally, trust, trust God to fulfill his promises. You know that little part that maybe some of you guys might not be able to see, I'll, I'll read it for you, but I love it, it says waiting on God doesn't mean we're doing nothing. It's about allowing God to do his thing. Waiting on God doesn't mean we are doing nothing, but it's about allowing God to do his thing. So we need to trust in his timing and his answers. Because God, he is never early, nor is he ever late. His timing is always perfect. God is never early, nor is he ever late. His timing is always perfect. And his plan, his plan is always better than our own. I learned this personally uh, just through the experience of getting my buddy, my dog, Chase. This is a picture of him when we found him at the pound. And man, I, I, the last two years with him have just been so much fun. I just love hanging out with him. He's so calm and he's so chill. He lets us do all sorts of random things with him. And man, there, I wouldn't trade him for any other dog in the world. I, I love just being with him. He, 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 I, I just thank God every day. I'm like, God, this dog is so perfect. I love him, at least for me. But here's the thing, if it were up to my plans and if it were up to my purposes, Chase wouldn't be my dog. Actually, this dog right here, Joy, would be my dog. They kinda look similar, but they're not. She's a girl, Joy's a girl, Chase is a boy, okay? But here's the thing, see, I saw Joy listed on Facebook uh, through a rescue group that I follow. And they were like, hey, this dog is available. Will somebody adopt it? Please, somebody save it. You know, at that time, my wife and I were like, okay, you know, we have been thinking about getting a dog. We've been praying about it. We thought, man, a dog would add so much joy to our household. And she knew that as well, just being someone that grew up with a dog. And so we're like, okay, let's go do it. And so we contacted the, 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 the rescue group, and they, they gave us, like, a, gave us all of this stuff to fill out and turn in an application to adopt joy and we were like, oh man, this is so awesome. So we, we took our time, we filled it out. We even asked, we even asked the Shiohamas Ohamas to be our references that we would be good doggy parents. And, um, and we, we got all ready and, we, and we, we remember, I remember sitting there with my wife as we were praying over this on the computer saying, okay, God, you know, how perfect is this? God, you would give us joy. I could tell everybody joy came into my life because of God. So this is perfect. God, this, is, this, this makes so much sense. You're going to make this happen. So God, here, let this happen. And then that minute ticked away after we sent, sent it. And then those minutes turned to hours. And those hours turned into days. And those days turned into weeks. And we heard nothing. And we're like, what is going on? God, why aren't you giving us joy? We reached out to the group and we're asking them what's going on, what's happening. We would see them constantly put up other pictures of joy saying she's still available. And we're like, hey, what about us? I, I guess we're not good enough. And in the midst of it, I was frustrated. I was like, God, I thought this was the right time. I thought this was the perfect dog. This was a good plan. But God had other things in mind. So what had happened was we eventually decided, you know what, maybe we should go back and look again. We had already gone to the shelters. We didn't see anybody. But this time, after the weeks that had passed by, when we showed up, Chase showed up at the same time. And by God's divine grace and goodness, his plans and his purposes were far greater than mine because he gave us a dog that is so much better than we would have ever hoped for. And so in the same way, guys, maybe there's something you're waiting on God for, and you don't understand why he's not giving it to you just yet. Will you trust that his plans and his purposes are far greater than your own, and that he will show up, and he will deliver right on time? You know, finally, there's this idea of God's purposes and his plans, and we tend to think of it in terms of our dreams and our hopes, but... Here's the reality of it, part of God's plan for your life and my life is to make us more like Christ. Romans 8, 29 puts it this way, it says, for those whom he foreknew, this is God, he also predestined to be conformed, to be made like the image of his son, Jesus, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, many people say that God has a wonderful plan for their life, often meaning that God will help them achieve their dreams. But today, I want us to be reminded that God's plans for our personal happiness aren't as important as his plans for our personal holiness. See, in this process of becoming like Christ, you will have to exercise patience and wait on God. Because the reality of God, as he tries to transform us and change us into becoming more like Christ, as he's trying to produce patience out of us, is gonna take time. See, because God doesn't merely want to offer a quick fix He's all about lasting solutions. See, God isn't about just giving us a momentary appeasement, but he's in it for the long haul. God isn't all about trying to just give us short-term happiness, but eternal holiness. He's a creator who creates wholly and perfectly, and he desires to create you and I into a new creation that looks like Jesus. And he's all about doing it right, not quick. And so some of you guys are waiting for God through a tough time and a trial, but I want you to possibly shift your focus and shift your perspective as as not seeing these things as difficult stuff, but as a chance to exercise patience. For God to produce hupomone, like Christ in you, hupomone patience in you, because sometimes God doesn't change your situation because he's trying to change your character. Sometimes God is not gonna change your situation because he's more fixated on changing your character. And so he will use whatever it takes to make you more and more like Jesus. And take a look at James chapter one, verses two through four. In this, it, talks, it about, talks about trials and how maybe we should need to shift our focus and seeing it differently. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, also patience, Hupomone. And let patience, hupomone, let steadfastness have its full effect. Why? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans five, verses three through five also shares this idea of using tough times for the sake of building us like Christ. It says in verse three, not only that, but we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, produces patience, produces hupomone. And this hupomone, this patience, this endurance, it produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So those difficult times and those tough people, those, those trials that you're going through, would you possibly shift your focus from seeing them as obstacles and rather see them as opportunities? Opportunities to grow hupomone, this endurance, this steadfastness, Is perseverance like character of Christ in you? I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story from me before, but I use it a lot. And it's a story about a butterfly and its struggle. See, how the story goes, there once was a kid that found a caterpillar. And he asked his mom, mom, can I have the caterpillar? Mom says, sure, let's take it home. And they put it in one of those little aquarium type of things. And the kid was just fascinated And watching this little caterpillar just walk around all over the place. And all of a sudden, the caterpillar started taking on its transformation into becoming a butterfly. And the kid was freaking out because he didn't know what was happening. He said, mom, mom, it's in like this little cocoon looking thing. What do I do? And the mom explained everything going on. And he was like, what? That little caterpillar is going to turn into a beautiful butterfly. And it's going to no longer crawl on the ground, but it's going to fly. I can't wait. So he watched with eager anticipation for this to happen. And as, the, as he watched the transformation happen, he noticed something. As it was becoming more and more apparent that the butterfly, that the caterpillar had become a butterfly, he, he saw that it was struggling. Struggling to get out of its cocoon. He noticed that there was a little small hole in there and it was slowly but surely making its way out, but it was taking a long time. And, and so in his short-sightedness, he was like, oh man, I feel so bad. It's struggling so much. It looks like it's really, really, really having a hard time. And, and so he decided, you know what, I'm gonna help this butterfly. And so what did he do? He went over and he kind of pinched that hole and made it a little bit bigger. And then he thought, man, yes, it's free. It's gonna come out and fly, but what did it do? It just fell, and dropped to the ground, and continued to crawl. And he was like, wait, what's happening? It's supposed to come out and soar and be beautiful, and its wings instead were shriveled, malnourished-looking. And what he learned later was that the struggle was necessary for the butterfly, for the butterfly's wings to develop the muscles necessary for it to take shape and to become strong enough to support its weight so that it can fly. In the same way, guys, God desires you to become more like Christ. And maybe some of the things that he's gonna do to make you like that is you struggle to make you stronger. So I hope and I pray that you would allow God to work this patience in your life because it is only through him that we can have this type of patience, one that is long-suffering and long-tempered, one that can endure and persist through some of the most difficult of times. And so I wanna share with you guys as I close just our role in God producing this fruit in our life. Will you guys write this down? Our role, number one, in our cooperation of the Holy Spirit to make patience is this. We need to, one, receive God's patience. God continues to offer us patience. He continues to show it to us with open arms. And and as we receive it, in order to do that with both hands, we need to maybe let go of some other things. We need to let go of our desire to hurry, our desire to control. We may need to let go of our hurts and our anger, our annoyances, and, and have our arms open to embrace and to take in his patience toward us. And then because we need his patience, because only God can produce patience in us, because it's not something that comes naturally out of us. And, And then as we do that, sometimes we will forget that God has shown us patience. So the next part is this, we remember, we remember constantly God's patience towards you. And I think one of the best ways to do that is by being in his word right here by reading all of the promises, all the ways that he's shown himself faithful. And another way I want to encourage you to consider is by journaling. I think journaling is awesome because it gives us a chance to look back sometimes and see the ways that God has answered our prayers, even seen the ways that we have grown and we have changed. And that will help us remember how God has sometimes been so patient with us. And as we remember, then it is our opportunity to reflect it, reflect it to the world because the world needs to see patience. Why? Because they need to see God. And because sometimes patience is required for self, salvation to come. And then finally, will you guys consider how we can, our role is to refocus. Remain and rely on God's plan and pace. We need to sometimes shift our thoughts of looking at a difficult person or a difficult situation as obstacles, but rather opportunities. We need to remain in God's will and his plan. Even though it may seem hard, even though it may seem difficult, even though it may be, it seem like it's going too slow. And I think one of the best ways we could do that is by relying, relying on God's plan and relying on God's pace. And this idea of pace is something that I'm pretty familiar with because I I like to run. I run marathons all the time, and sometimes you need a little bit of help to get to the finish line, especially if you have a goal in mind. And so there's these kind of people right here, marathon pacers, right? And they help you reach these goals of finishing, whether it be in two hours which is impossible, or whether it be three hours, four hours, five hours, whatever they may be. But their goal for the completion of the race, for the whole entirety of the race, is to take you from the start line to the finish line within that amount of time. And my first time ever using a pacer was a difficult one because I was like, what are they doing? Because when we first started off, they started off so slow. And in my mind, I was like, I can go so much faster. But they kept saying, trust us. Slow is good. And I'm like, what are you talking about slow is good? Slow is bad. My time is not going to be met. You know what? What's your name? I'm going to write that down and I'm going to email your supervisor later, especially if I don't get this goal. I put too much time, too much practice into this. There's no way. But what I came to learn as I relied on the pacer's pace was that near the finish, while everybody else who jumped out in front of us and was running hard in the beginning, we were passing them. And while they were getting tired, I was getting stronger. And the next thing I knew, we were reaching our destination at exactly the time promised. That's what a pacer can do for us in marathons because they have the experience and of course the ability. How much greater is God's experience and God's ability to produce in us what he plans and he's promised? to help us be patient with other people. So I hope today you will seek out God and you will allow him and you will be patient with him as he tries to produce this idea of long suffering, long temperedness and endurance and persistence in your life because we need it and the the rest of the world needs to see it from us. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and I know that there are people sitting in here today that are struggling with maybe a person. Maybe it's their mom, maybe it's their dad, brother or sister, it's a family member, a coworker, a friend, and they're just having a difficult time being patient with them. God, would you help us show them patience for the sake of salvation, for the sake of love? God, we, we can't do it on our own, so help us to always remember and receive your patience toward us so that, God, we can reflect it toward others. God, I know that there are some people in here today that they're going through a circumstance or a situation and, it, and, God, they don't know how they're going to survive. They don't know why they're in the middle of it. God, they're still looking to you for an answer. God, would you help produce in them this idea of endurance and persistence to not give up, to patiently wait, trusting in your pace and your plan. God, thank you. Thank you for being a God that has shown us time and time again what patience looks like, but also showing it to us. Now, God, help us to have it with you and with others. We love you and thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.